0: My name is Janice Holland, and I came to Freedom Sessions. Um, It was recommended by a girlfriend of mine. And I decided to try it because I've been involved in another recovery group for about 10 years. And I wasn't resolving issues with the death of my husband. And so I came here with the intent of healing from the death of my husband, to get over his death, the fact that he left me so Early in our marriage, we were married 15 years. He was the one that was telling me I had to give him 40 years, but he left me after 15. Basically, I was angry because he was gone. I knew he was in heaven, so it's not really fair that I'm upset that he's not here, but you know, I still wanted him. I lost my best friend. To this day, I have not done his memorial service, and we're coming up on seven years to his death. So that was the real reason I came to Freedom Sessions, to start moving on and being who I am without him. I really loved him and to this day I still miss him, dear. The results that I got out of it, I was able to let go of my husband, forgive him for the things he had done, forgive myself for the things I had done. But fortunately for me, he left me a daughter. Um, who now has two, we have two grandchildren. But through Freedom Sessions, I had to heal that relationship also. Basically, I had to seek forgiveness from her. It just amazes me, God's timing, because I had family living with me. My in-laws were staying with me. They had had a problem with their house. And as I went through Freedom Sessions, I was sharing with my other sister-in-law all the different steps I was taking, and I actually practiced my amends on her. And it it was a good relationship-building event for me. I just have a new zest, and new zeal for uh, doing what God wants me to do because Freedom Session truly is freedom. You truly get released from these burdens that are holding you back, and so I'm truly live more in freedom now than I ever have. And I'm very grateful for this program. And a lot of people will be grateful I went through it, I'll tell you.
1: (laughs) Good morning, True Grace. How are you? Good. It's good to see all of you. I Uh, appreciate Janice's honesty. How many of you have friends or family that hope God does something in your life, right? (laughs) It's great stuff. Well, my name is Ellis Taylor, and I get the honor of being the director of True Grace Serves ministry here, the ministry that is you helping out in our community. And some of you may not know this, what you have done over the past five months I wanna give you a list of some of the things that you've done over the past five months. Do you know that you've transported people to doctor's appointments that don't have transportation? You have built walls and taped and textured and painted and installed windows and electricians have come out and dig into electrical boxes and you've cleaned up construction debris and moved to move household items for two separate vets Uh, for them and donated clothing to two separate organizations that helping the homeless here in our community you've overwhelmed our food bank with sugar (laughs) who doesn't love sugar you adopted 23 families with over a hundred people in those families for Christmas this season you've done all of that and I want you to know how grateful I am for you for doing that, so thank you very very much for what you've done. Well, I get the honor of pulling in the second uh, episode of our Christmas message this season. We're in our second week of the Star of Christmas, and I want to talk. Uh, how many of you are good at Bahasa Indonesia? You spoken in Bahasa Indonesia? Can I give you a little lesson in Indonesian? My wife and I and my family lived in Indonesia for a few years, and while we were there, we learned this word called tukang. Can you say it? Tukang. Now, tukang is a word that's used used to, to describe a person, and it's usually someone that's a manual laborer or a day laborer. And while I was pastoring there, I regularly referred to myself as a Tukong because I was there to serve and labor for the church on their behalf. And at first, the Indonesians didn't like it they, uh, because Tukongs were not someone that they would look up to in Indonesian communities. They were the invisible people. They were the poor. They usually dressed in dirty clothes and they were the low class. They were not the ones on the platforms. They were usually the ones that built the platforms. In fact, I had hired some Tukongs myself to get my house ready for us to move into. In Indonesia, they don't have ovens. It's simply too expensive. And so uh, we hired some Tukongs to um, take a counter out of our kitchen. And counters were all made of... Uh, there's no wood walls there. It's all concrete and... Um, Bricks. And so there was a Tukong there, and he was there with a hammer and a chisel, and he was hammering this counter out so that we could put an a stove, an oven in our kitchen. And he was there in bare feet, and I was teasing him because I was telling him in America, in my day job right now, I have to have steel-toed boots to protect my toes in case something falls on it. And I was teasing him because in Indonesia, they don't need steel-toed boots, they have steel toes. (laughs) But when I referred to myself as a Tukong, they didn't like it. They thought it was a little funny that their American pastor, who uh, was American, and that, by the way, was a very high status over there, was referring to himself as a Tukong. It didn't feel right to them. It's not so dramatic here in America, is it? Because we don't have that same social atmosphere here. Many developing countries around the world are characterized by this wide gap between lower-class and upper-class. America, especially from the outside perspective, is primarily a middle-class country. People generally relate to each other as equals. So we have workers and laborers, too, just like everyone else, but it isn't the same kind of social stratification that happens here. Now, some people say this is changing in America, and maybe it is, I don't know. But we're definitely not like Indonesia, and we're for sure not like uh, India or their caste system. But actually, this kind of social stratification is a lot closer to the world that was like when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. There were insiders, and there were outsiders. There were the visibles, and then there were the invisibles. Now, if you're trying to launch something, a new movement here in America in 2020, the best PR firms in America would tell you to hire some 20-something-year-old influencer to create some catchy slogan and make it into a t-shirt, post pictures on their Instagram account, make some TikTok video, sponsor by some famous athlete or artist or actor, base yourself out of Los Angeles or New York, and they would say that that's a pretty decent recipe for a successful campaign. You start with influential people, Popular ones, popular places, throw a bunch of money at it, and it's right. But interestingly, the most powerful movement the world has ever known started in the exact opposite way. It started with a bunch of tukongs in a field, in a podunk town, in the middle of nowhere, no famous people, no money, no marketing campaign. Do you want to read about it? we're going to read about it. Let's look in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8. This story begins with a young girl of no significant connections to wealth or power. She just arrived in the hometown of her fiance, and she's there in order to register for a mandated census. She's just given birth to a baby boy. She is in a shelter that is used for domestic animals because there's no better place available. She swaddles her baby in strips of cloth and probably exhausted from giving birth, lays them in the nearest thing by her, which is a feeding trough. Now let's pick up the story in Luke 2 verse 8. It says this, And there were shepherds lying out in a field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, "'Don't be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger.' Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to, the, to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger and when they had seen him they spread the word concerning what had been they had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them but Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which they were just had been told Let's take a moment and open in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for the announcement of your birth into this world. And just like it was a shock to those shepherds on that hillside that dark night, I pray that it today shocks us, helps us to understand who you are, the peace that you bring, and the perspective that you bring. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's look at this passage of Scripture, and, and I want us to zoom in. Not like the thing you do in front of a computer, but on these three points, I want us to zoom in over the next few moments. It tells us three things about Jesus. The first thing is Jesus coming gives us the information we need. Jesus coming gives us the peace that we need. And Jesus coming gives us the perspective that we need. First information, Jesus coming gives us the information we need. Everybody loves new babies, don't we? In fact, I just had a, a new nephew that was born on Thanksgiving Day. Everybody was celebrating together and they were off in the hospital. I, my funnest part of that day was delivering Thanksgiving meal to the parking lot so he could eat a meal before he, he, his new son was born. And everybody says lots of oohs and ahs, don't they? They say things like, "Things like, oh, look how smart he is," or "I bet she's going to be a great fisherman like his dad." And then, what is the next thing they say? They usually say things about the stats. They're asking about all the stats, right? So you put this birth announcement out, and it talks about how much they weighed and how many inches long they were. The stats, right? Now, I'm the youngest of six kids, and out of all of them, I think I have the best birth announcement. My dad wrote it like he was announcing a new model of a car. I want to read it to you. It says this, the Taylor Manufacturing Company announces a new 1974 model baby boy, Ellis Allen Taylor. The new model was released at 4.08 a.m. on January 22, 1974, weighed in at 9 pounds, 12 ounces, my poor mom. Measured 21 inches long, chief engineer Paul Taylor, chief production manager Don Taylor, technical advisor Dr. Bass and Dr. Bader. The introduction of this model, premiering at Tacoma General Hospital, completes the number of models to which this firm is limited, Due to the rising costs of maintenance and operation of the existing models and the added expense of the new model and the wear and tear on the chief engineer and the production manager, Taylor Manufacturing Company will now cease production. <laughs> my dad was so proud of this, he had it framed and gave it to me for Christmas one day, one Christmas. Now you know my birth stats, right? you am sure you're taking notes. We share birth stats of babies because there's no other information available, is there? We don't know what kind of kid they're going to be. We don't know what they're going to do or who they'll become. So when the angels showed up on that mountainside and announced Jesus' birth, they say this. They say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Jesus was seven pounds, two ounces. No, that's not what he said, right? Jesus' birth announcement is different. The angel announces a savior has been born to you. He's Messiah, the Lord. The information was about who Jesus was, that he was God, and about what he came to do. He came to save. Now that's some information. This baby isn't just a baby anymore. This was God born in human form, and he came for a very specific reason, to save humanity from sin and death. Now, that, po- that information isn't very popular in our cultures today, is it? And they say Jesus was a noble man, or they say that he was a good role model, but they don't say that he was God. Pfft, that's unscientific. That's a silly religious delusion. We're beyond that. Let's keep the spirit of Christmas, but don't try and say anything that was was grounded in actual fact. Look at the kind of people it was told to. It was told to shepherds. Now, maybe people in your world don't say that, but there is an awkward silence if they get the impression that you actually believe it, or they subtly mock it. Or what's probably most common, if in fact, if you look at most of the Christmas movies that are coming out now, they simply ignore it altogether. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. It's been this way from the very beginning, and it's by God's design. The the angels didn't go to King Herod, did they? They went to who? They went to shepherds, the Tukongs of the world. We all, kings included, have to decide what we're going to do with the information that we've been given. Now, here's some facts about Jesus, and these would be hard to refute. Jesus was born into a subjugated people group, a family of no consequence in a remote village that was occupied by the world's reigning empire of the day, and he had zero privilege and zero power. He was born in a barn, wrapped in rags, targeted for death, and raised on the run. He ministered mostly in remote towns. He was on the public scene for less than three years. And at his, the time of his execution, he asked a friend to take care of his mother. And he had 11 disciples. And yet, 100 years after he was born, his impact was greater than during his lifetime. 300 years after the leader of the ruling empire he was born into, the empire that had executed him declared himself a follower of Jesus. By 1,000 years after Jesus lived, his ideas had swept through the world and they were the very foundation for the very culture we find ourselves in today. 2,000 years, here we are 2.3 2.3 billion people spread throughout every continent, and what's more interesting to me is in every culture, there are people who call themselves their, his follower, more than any other religion or any other movement in human history. Jesus never wrote a book, yet there are more books written about him than any other single topic he never held a political office, he never controlled an army, and yet he led the greatest idea revolution the world's ever known. He never married, he left no descendants, but he radically changed the way cultures treat women and children, bringing honor and equality to them. He transformed the way people saw the sick and the suffering and the poor, elevating them to be children of God and that we should be, care for them and love them. We have no images of Jesus, and yet throughout history, we see his imprint on every arena of life, art, and science, and government, and medicine, and education. Jesus completely revolutionized the way people thought about the concepts and practices of humility, and dignity, and compassion, and forgiveness, and hope. He changed the way we thought about death, something not to be feared, And he said we should love our enemies. That one idea has changed the world. The sheer impact of what Jesus has must cause any thoughtful person or shepherd or king to ask themselves, who was this man? As for me, this man was who the angel said he was, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. The question is, what are we going to do with the information that we've been given? I'll tell you what the shepherds did. The shepherds investigated, and they shared the information, and then they glorified and praised God. And we would be wise men and women to do the same and follow their example. So that's what they do with their information they've been given. My second point this morning is Jesus comes to give us the peace that we need. Peace is in short supply, isn't it? We probably feel this lack of peace more now in this season because we love to sentimentalize Christmas. We want to make it about silent nights and peace on earth and goodwill toward men. We want Christmas to be sweet and serene, and 2020 is kind of invaded on that and making it really difficult, isn't it? As hard as it is, maybe this is our chance to see see through the fog of what's going on of the sentimental Christmas to the spiritual reality of Christmas. And the reality is this, that Christmas is about peace on earth, but not the kind of peace that most people may think of. When we think of peace, we usually think about political peace between countries or groups. Or we think about emotional peace in our hearts and our minds. Or we think about relational peace between people. So international peace or internal peace, right? And while the Bible does talk about those kinds of peace, we should, and that we should work towards those kinds of peace, those, that peace is only partial Or it's only temporary. In fact, Jesus himself later in the Gospel of Luke, he says, Do you think I came to bring peace? No, I tell you, I came to bring division. You see, becoming a Christian in a lot of ways means your life is less peaceful, doesn't it? That's my experience. In my experience, when I've become a Christian, I realize that I'm at war with the sin in my life. I've lost friends over it. I'm suddenly at odds with things that normally I would never be at odds with. I'm suddenly a target of spiritual attack. The Holy Spirit does bring an internal peace, but not because your life is suddenly free from conflict or spiritual battles. And as for international or political peace, the Bible makes it clear that we should not expect peace between nations anytime soon. At best, all we can do is strive to be peacemakers and work towards any partial peace that is to be had until Jesus returns. So what kind of peace is the peace on earth that the angel is talking about to the shepherds? What does it mean? Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. What this is talking about is the absolute peace between God and man. It means that the conflict between God and man is resolved by Jesus himself. Whereas international or internal peace can only be partial until he comes. The peace that Jesus brings is absolute and already completed right now. You see, sinful mankind, that's you and that's me. We're subject to God's goodwill and that means Jesus is our Savior. He came to restore God's favor to mankind, not because of what man has done, but because of what Jesus has done. Jesus coming means peace with God is possible Because there is now forgiveness for sins. Now, I don't know about you. You may be sitting here this morning or maybe you're sitting uh, in your living room or wherever you're at right now. And you're going through your list of things that you need to be forgiven for. And it may be taking you some time. Maybe some of your lists are kind of long. You guys look like you have a long list of things you need to be forgiven for. Remember this. Christmas peace means this, if you join yourself with Jesus by trusting in his work and not yours, God erases everything on your list. You don't have to get your life straightened out first to earn God's goodwill. This is the Christian doctrine called grace. It means that God's forgiveness and his favor is available to you full and complete, right here, right now, and it's absolute, not partial, not for later when he returns, right now, peace with God on this earth. That's what Christmas peace means, and that's why it's called good news, because when we know that we have absolute peace with God, our souls are at rest, and they're safe, we're free to experience the And work for as much internal peace and international peace as is available to us. But peace with God comes first. It's about God becoming a man in order to bring man back to God. And that is absolute peace. So Jesus coming brings us the information that we need. His coming brings us the peace that we need. And finally this morning, his coming brings us perspective. Now, on a regular basis, my parenting job is to help my kids get some perspective on life because when you don't have a long life experience, your experience is small and your problems seem really big, right? So for a kid who's never worked a 12-hour shift, a whole hour of homework can seem like a lot. Sometimes it can cause a, a meltdown, doesn't it? Anybody at home doing, taking your kids through uh, online school? It feels like a lot, doesn't it? For a kid who has $0, $20 is a whole lot. It feels like a whole lot to buy a game. Maybe even an impossible task. A minor tiff on a playground can feel like World War III. Or a strict teacher can feel like an overlord, right? So small things seem big. And on the other hand, big things can seem small. My six-year-old knows nothing about what was just happening. She knows about two guys named Trump and Biden, but that's all she knows. She doesn't know anything about economic policy or geopolitical conflict or cultural wars or ethical issues. These don't register on her Richter scale at all. So small things seem big, And big things seem small when you're a kid. And a huge part of growing up is gaining some perspective, right? Shrinking things or enlarging things so that they are in proper size in relation to other things. Wouldn't that be a good definition of an adult? At least a healthy one. The ability to keep things in perspective that allows us to live our life in wise and healthy ways. So how does Jesus coming give us perspective? Here's how, and it takes a little bit of time to wrap our brains around this truth because this is a big one. Jesus coming ultimately means that if you trust him, you will someday raise to life and rule with him in glory as a child of God. For eternity, you're gonna be a co-heir in his kingdom where there's no evil or death or injustice, they simply just don't exist. And the Bible says that there is no eye has seen and no mind can comprehend the things that God has prepared. That's what Jesus' coming means. And if that's true, then this is also true of you right here, right now, on this earth. Your bad things turn out for good, your good things can never be lost, and your best things are yet to come. I'm going to say that again. It's good. Your bad things turn out for good. Your good things can never be lost. And your best things are yet to come. Those are the words of a man named Jonathan Edwards. And it's the logical implication and working out of what Jesus coming means. It's perspective. Was 2020 a bad year? Most of us would say yes. It's not been a great year. Maybe you lost a job or maybe a relationship. You got a diagnosis. Someone you love died. Just this week, I had a friend who lost someone they loved. I could see the pain in them. Maybe you've hurt by people or you hurt people. Maybe you've done something you're not proud of or you're grieving or angry or felt powerless to change the situation you find yourself in or you're living with confusion and conflict and anxiety and fear. We, like beloved children, need a desperate dose of perspective. We need God to come wrap his arms around us and say, you're gonna be okay. I know this hurts, it feels huge. But know this, I'm redeeming painful things. I'm taking away their sting and I'm causing them to work for your good. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hang on. Your best things are yet to come. These temporary pains and problems are producing in you a glory that surpasses anything that you can understand. Keep your eyes on Jesus and his peace and let that come into your perspective. You see Jesus coming gives us the perspective we need to face whatever happens in 2020 and whatever's coming in 2021. Because we're like a bunch of kids, aren't we? We don't understand why things are happening the way they are. But our Father, who understands perfectly and is in complete control, can ta- we can take a deep breath and we can relax. 2,000 years ago, a group of lowly shepherds were in the middle of a dark night. They were surrounded by darkness on all sides. Does that sound familiar to you? Little did they know that God shows up in dark places. Maybe little do you know that God can show up in your dark place. Do you remember the first words out of the angel's mouth? He said, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Why? Why is this true? Because I bring you good news that's going to cause great joy. No matter what you faced in 2020, you have the perspective you need to walk out of here today with great joy. Why? Because your bad things turn out for good. Your good things can never be lost, and the best things are yet to come. If that's true, you have something that's priceless, something the world doesn't possess and it can't explain. So, as we close this morning, would you stand with me? I want to ask you a couple questions. Maybe you're here in this room. And you thought to yourself, wow, I I didn't know all that information about Jesus. I didn't know that his life really transformed, that it, it wasn't done like normal marketing campaigns are. It was a bunch of nobodies, and yet he changed the world. When God spoke to those shepherds, they had the information that they needed, and they went and investigated it. If you're here today, or you're sitting in your living room today, and you didn't know this stuff about Jesus, now you do. They went out and investigated it. What will you do with the information that you've been given? Will you go look into it? Will you investigate? Will you ask questions? What are you going to do with the information you're given? Or maybe you're here today and you have all the kinds of peace that I talked about, the ones that the world is so interested in. You got peace, internal peace um, with yourself and with friends and all those are good. You've got peace with your community and peace with all the things that the world says is important, but those things are so temporary. In a moment's notice, they're gone. In fact, I think we see it falling apart whenever you turn on the news. That kind of peace is only temporary. Maybe you have all those kinds of peace, but you don't have peace with God. That's an absolute peace and you can have it today. What are you going to do with the information that you've been given? Or maybe you're here today and the news, and everything that's going on in your personal life, in your, the, the lives of the people that surround you, in the greater lives in the, this country, the perspective is overwhelming you, and you can't seem see past it. Do you need a perspective that brings it all back and says, ah, God's got this under control. I don't have to worry, because God in his way, in his mind, in his place and his way, he can make these bad things come out and turn out for good. I don't know how, but he said he can. And what he did was a miracle to come from a lowly stable to the savior of 2.3 billion people in this world. He's my savior. I know some of you, I know he's your savior. Maybe you just need perspective. So I'm going to pray. And if that's one of you, I just want you to pray with me wherever you're at, right here in this room or online, wherever you're in your room. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, a baby that was born. Thank you for sending a birth announcement that was like no other. It isn't about the stats. It's about who you were. Thank you that you came to save this world, that you are God and that you came to save. God, I take that into my life. I know these people here take it into their lives. And God, may we be just like the shepherds and proclaim it. Leave here praising God because of that. I pray that in Jesus' name. Maybe there's people here and they have all kinds of peace, but accept the peace that they're right with you. God, I pray in this moment, would you forgive us for the things that we have done against you, the war that we have caused knowingly and even unknowingly that we've caused between us and you, God. Would you forgive us our sins? We believe you and we follow you till our dying day. God, may you bring us an eternal, absolute peace with you. And for those of us, Lord God, who are overwhelmed, we have a perspective. Something's too big in our life or the things that are really important are too small in our life. God, I pray that we would right-size them and that by the power of your scripture, by the power of your word and the... the it, power of your spirit, God, may you help us give us a perspective, put you at the center of our lives and our worries and our concerns. I pray that over each and every one of us. And God, like these shepherds, when they went out, they went out praising God. We do the same today because there is a lost world out there that needs to hear this message. They need to know about this baby that's been born. They need to know that this is joy to the world for what you have declared, that you are God and that you are a savior. I pray that that would sink into us and be such a joy in us that when we are walking around our daily lives, our everyday walking around lives, that that joy would transform our heart and transform the hearts of the people that we live in the same house with, that we shop at the same grocery stores with, that we go to the same schools with, that we live our lives with. God, may it transform all of us. You've done that for thousands of years in hundreds of cultures all across this world. God, may that be our story too. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to charge all of you, walk out of here with all the joy in the world because of what God has done for you and for me. This is something that we get to celebrate, the joy of our Savior. He has come. He is here. He is for you, and He goes with you into a world that doesn't know anything about it. So I want to charge you, go into this world with all the joy that God has for you. He has it and you can be transformed and watch it. It will transform the people around you. May God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week and Merry Christmas to you.